0: again to gamble on the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com i'm eric raskin usbets managing editor and media director and i'm joined by our senior analyst pulitzer prize finalist john brennan and let's just get it out of the way right off the top john won our march madness competition he gets a hundred dollar free bet paid for by me uh if it wins he keeps the profits uh so congrats john um but i have to know If your free bet wins, will you be sharing your winnings with the refs from the Virginia-Auburn game?
1: (laughs) Whoa, shots fired. Uh, And uh, meow, man. So, uh, you know, the refs got the less... Less second foul call, right, and that's undisputed. Um, I think um, they missed that double dribble call, obviously, too. But even the announcing crew didn't notice it, so uh, it's unfortunate. But that's kind of how it goes. But uh, a little more seriously, you know, remember I've mentioned a mantra before. I learned from. I mean, I covered more than a thousand NBA games and thousands of other sporting contests in 35 years. You know, if you wind up in a place where one single event can kill you then your team has failed at its mission that day that's just the way it is so virginia failed in its last three games in that respect <laughs> um, yeah auburn auburn failed in the last one and you know where else they failed in the first round when they were up two points and fouled the shooter on a three-point try with like 1.7 seconds left so all they could do is watch just stand there and mexico state player had their season in his hands um he missed two foul shots last one with in and out The Aggies got the rebound and threw up an air ball at the buzzer but um you know, Auburn failed that day and won anyway. Um, and who went to Mexico State as their double digit seed sleeper in our pool?
0: Oh, there you go. This, oh.
1: this guy. So
0: <laughs> I all yeah, comes full I, circle.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, funny you say that. I was going to say that I believe the elders, like even elder than me, they call this yeah, the circle of life. <laughs> now, it's the circle of the pool, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and look, l- luck plays a part uh, in yep. in all of this. Uh, it, it is poor form to complain about bad beats, and uh, no, you won fair and square. So congrats. Uh, you'll you'll let me know off air uh, when you found okay. a bet that you like, and uh, and I will head to Jersey and make it for you. Uh, but the the March Madness news uh, wasn't all bad for me, though. Uh, I went uh, two out of three picking against the spread on the final four games on Fanduel, and they had a a promo where they doubled your winnings if you won. Ooh. So that was a nice little bankroll boost. Uh, and also out of uh, eight. 18,000 plus entries in the DraftKings free bracket pool where I had Virginia over Texas Tech in the final. I finished in 36th place, good for $125, a one spot shy of the next pay jump, uh, would have been $150. But uh, that nice win uh, cushions the blow of losing to you in our head-to-head
1: competition. Yeah, that, that's that's uh, nice work by you. You know, I, I finished in the top two percent of the Yahoo pool with my Virginia winning bracket. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won I won a group pool of 19 people uh, for no for no money. <laughs> so um, so. Well, yeah, it was a bad job by me, and uh, my 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 picks were good, but my uh, placement of them was rather poor. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Wait, so your 19-person pool was was no money? It was just for fun?
1: Yeah, for fun, yeah. So, wow. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're, you're even
0: more of a nit than I realized.
1: Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> kind of. Kind of A little bit a hollow hollow way. Bragging rights, though. You get bragging rights. Yeah, that's something.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 35 of Gamble On. At 35, we are one away from equaling my finish out of 18,000-plus on DraftKings. Uh, If you missed any of our previous 34 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. Please subscribe and give us a rating and review.
1: And we'll take fives. We, uh, In fact, we'll grovel for fives. But anyway, any rate, uh, Eric, coming up a little later in the podcast, we're going to speak to David Briggs, the CEO of GeoComply, who will help us understand the ins and outs of geolocation technology. Uh, so wherever you're listening to this podcast, basically David Briggs can find you. So keep that in mind, as you'll learn. Uh, so we'll be talking to David in a few minutes. But first, it's been another busy news week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. The
0: battle to determine what the Wire Act of 1961 has to do with online gambling in 2019 wages on. And this week, the Department of Justice responded to the New Hampshire Lottery's lawsuit on the matter. Conventional wisdom in the gambling community was that if lotteries are threatened, the DOJ won't get very far. So U.S. Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein issued a memo on Tuesday saying the DOJ's reinterpretation of the Wire Act doesn't apply to state lotteries. Uh, It certainly didn't seem that way from the language in the DOJ opinion that was written last November, but that's what Rosenstein is claiming now, basically as a move to render the New Hampshire lotteries lawsuit moot. What this means is that those hoping to wipe the DOJ opinion off the board will have to take a new approach, and that's where New Jersey comes in. Uh, John, you spoke to former state senator Ray Lesniak this week, and he told you, quote, We need to file for a declaratory judgment in federal court that objects to the DOJ opinion that serves to jeopardize our online gaming law. We can't lift that dark cloud until we go directly to the Third Circuit. So according to Lesniak, it might be New Jersey that takes up this fight. And New Jersey has experience. They've been here before. Uh, Do you expect, John, that New Jersey can succeed in making Sheldon Adelson's opinion, oops, I, I mean the DOJ's opinion, ultimately insignificant?
1: Yeah, Eric, you know, sometimes I almost forget that I'm not a lawyer. I've read so many tens of thousands of pages of filings in the past years, uh, much of that on the New Jersey sports betting case alone. Uh, But right away, you know, I see that DOJ is clarifying their January opinion on the Wire Act, that it's not meant to affect the New Hampshire lottery, which filed the suit. And right away, I'm thinking, wait, the lottery lacks standing, obviously. And then I... Need a reality check. So that's why I checked it with Senator Lesniak, who is an attorney. Uh, And he said, yep, basically. Um, Plus, now he hopes to be released from the shackles that state officials had opposed on him, hoping that New Hampshire could win the battle, uh, which may not happen. Although, breaking news, Ted Olson just filed a five-page response brief that, as usual, makes – makes you think he's right, always right. Um, hmm. He won the passport case for New Jersey, by the way. But that being said, there's still may be a case of a uh, next man up here, and uh, Lesniak wants that man to be New Jersey. Uh, now, I don't watch Game of Thrones, but there's probably a metaphor here for sure. The the battle-tested New Jersey leaders look for a breather after winning a seven-year epic battle that the Supreme Court decided in their favor. And Lesniak, though, he never left battle mode. He's the only one. Um, will he be unleashed to breathe fire? I, I think they do that on the show. Uh, they They here. do. They do, okay. But the real battlefield clearly is online casino gaming, and that is New Jersey's chief turf, and that is Sheldon Adelson's uh, chief turf. Is there a character like I won't even ask? There probably is. But... <laughs> oh, there are make... there
0: there are a few. Yes. You can
1: make your own decisions, uh, uh, dear listeners. Um, as far as lotteries, you know, they can go back to whatever sheep meadow they came from. Uh, this this battle is going to be, I think, held on different grounds.
0: Yeah. Game of Thrones is one of the few uh, places where you can find a few characters who are uh, shoulder to shoulder with Sheldon Adelson for uh, qualifying as a pure evil incarnate. Um, you, you mentioned some breaking news. Uh, we should note that as we record this podcast on Thursday, a federal judge in New Hampshire is hearing arguments today on this case. So there certainly could be updates today that impact where this is all headed. One thing that I saw shortly before we started recording is that the judge predicted this case will end up going all the way to the Supreme Court. So uh, we'll see about that. I have to say, this is one of those subjects that if I didn't have to follow it day to day for my job, <laughs> I would be tuning out and, and just ready to tune back in when it's all figured out. There, there's just a lot of little back and forth. And, and we just have no idea you know, what's enforceable, what's going to be enforced, what impact mm-hmm. this will have. It, it's a lot of you know, watching every play of the first quarter of a basketball game when I really just want to watch the last five minutes, um, you know, it, it's, it's important stuff potentially. But I would probably tune out at this stage of the process, if not for the fact that my job requires me to, to stay tuned in. And I'm not usually a, a skip to the end guy, uh, you know, flip to the back page and find out who the murderer was. Uh, that's not <laughs> my style. But in this case, I am. I kind of just want to skip to the end and, and figure out how it impacts online gambling and go from there.
1: Yeah, I had an old boss who, uh, he didn't like the long-winded leads, uh, flowery leads. He would just look and say, who won, what score? <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> yes, when when this is all done, uh, I look forward to uh, an article that uh, makes that clear in, in the first sentence or two, and then you can get into the details. But uh, for now, uh, if we're covering it, we do kind of have to get bogged down in all the details. Um, So our next story here. Last week, it was Montana that came from out of nowhere to become a top contender to be the first new state to legalize sports betting in 2019. Now it seems North Carolina is the new Montana. This week, the Tar Heel State emerged as a strong contender to become state number nine. On Tuesday, the North Carolina Senate passed SB 154 by a 43 to 7 vote, and it will now move on to the House. But there's no huge rush to get it passed as the General Assembly doesn't adjourn until the middle of the summer. Uh, There's a problem, though. The bill would only legalize sports betting at a pair of Indian casinos in the state. It doesn't include any language about online or mobile betting. So, in other words, it should tap in nicely to about 1% of North Carolina's potential sports betting market. North Carolina is positioning itself to become another state that legalizes sports betting and then claims the revenue isn't what was promised because the state is doing it all wrong. Uh, that said, John, what's the likelihood that North Carolina becomes the next state to regulate sports betting?
1: Uh, if this counts, I think is a good chance. But um, this reminds me of the old line about, uh, you know, that's, that's where the money is. This is like the bizarro version of that. Um, kind of did a little research. So North Carolina, you think about Charlotte, right? That's a big city. So mm-hmm. how far away is the closest of those two uh, Indian casinos in the state? 180 miles, three hours. That's a little bit of a stretch. Mm. What about Raleigh-Durham? Lots of potential gamblers there, right? Um, oh, that's 300 miles, five-hour trip. <laughs> wow. uh, yeah. uh, what other North Carolina city, when I just think about it? Wilmington, that's a big one, right? That's got hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, kind of a greater metropolitan area, even. Uh, I'm just thinking, like, honey, round up the kids. We're going to take a nice country drive to that casino so I can make my futures bet on the Panthers to win the Super Bowl this year. Okay, honey, how far is it? Mm, the nearest one is 401 miles. Uh, I think we limit the youngins to two trips each way, uh, the rest stop, and leave as soon as I can make my wager. Uh, I figure we can be back home in about what 14, 15 hours. Um, or, or possibly that Panthers fan might do a quick Google search for an offshore sports book, I'm just saying.
0: Um, yeah, uh, th- this this lack of a mobile provision it it just blows my mind. You know, imagine if a, a state government decided to regulate phone calls. And make tax money off every call, but they limited it to calls made on landlines Uh, or or they decided to tax people playing games, but only board games, no video games. Uh, That's basically what what they're talking about here. Uh, You know, uh, you talked about the size of the state. This is not Rhode Island in North Carolina. It's a large enough state that these casinos are spread out enough I didn't realize quite how far they are from <laughs> the, the major cities but you know you only have two casinos where you can place bets that helps such a tiny percentage of potential bettors and this is basically what you just said it absolutely guarantees that 99% of people who are currently betting with offshore sites or with a bookie will continue to bet with those sites and bookies North Carolina is really wasting everyone's time if they don't work mobile betting into this. The the results elsewhere in the country have made that pretty clear.
1: Yeah, I, I should just add that for people in northern Georgia, which isn't that many people, but uh, they're not that far from these casinos, actually. And people in eastern Tennessee are even a little bit closer. So um, hmm. this you know, will, this will help for people who don't want to use the offshore version. Um, if you live in Tennessee or Georgia, um, you're about as likely to benefit from this law passed by <laughs> North Carolina.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, let's end the news segment with a very different sort of story. There's a professional sports bettor competing on Jeopardy. His name is James Holzhauer. He lives in Las Vegas, and he's doing quite well on Jeopardy! His first game aired last Thursday. He won, and he's kept winning since. And in this Tuesday's game, he set the all-time record for money won in a single game. The previous record was $77,000. Holzhauer smashed that by winning $110,914. He risked even more than the 22,000 big ones that Cliff Clavin once risked on Final Jeopardy (laughs) to end up at that astronomical number. Uh, As some listeners may know, Jeopardy tapes months in advance. Uh, And there is a bit of a spoiler community out there on the internet, and the rumor is that Holzhauer's run is going to go on quite a while. So we might be looking at the next Ken Jennings here, which is great for bringing exposure to sports betting. Our own Brian Pempis scored the first interview with Holzhauer, and he told Brian he never for a second considered concealing his profession on the show. He said, quote, I'm very proud of my work. And, quote, I can't see why there should be any stigma attached to sports betting in this day and age. Uh, John, have you been watching any of Holzhauer's run so far? And can a guy kicking butt on Jeopardy for a few weeks do significant positive things for the public perception of sports betting?
1: Uh, you know, I don't know if it'll matter too much, uh, but it is an interesting question. Because every, every show, you know, Alex asks him again and he says, I'm a professional gambler and – um yeah, there probably are people out in the, you know, uh flyover country <laughs> who are uh, saying, yeah, you know, uh maybe I like this guy after all. I mean, it, it doesn't hurt, but you know, as smart as he is and how much money he's made and it's fantastic, but what I'm really most jealous of is um he's like a ninja with that buzzer. I mean, <laughs> That's the part that would do me in for sure. You know, I mean, I can picture a clip mashup of me going viral, where my face is getting beat red as I constantly <laughs> seem to have the answer, but I'm done in by my slow twitch muscles. Uh, even I might get a laugh out of that eventually.
0: Yeah, everybody who's been on Jeopardy says that that's that's one of the keys. You can know all the answers, but if you don't have mastery of the timing of hitting that clicker, uh, you're, you're screwed. It's uh, <laughs> I would have um, no
1: chance. I uh, yeah. just I just know it. I wouldn't even wouldn't even apply for the show. That, that I don't would, know. That,
0: I'm- I'm picturing you in like a Rocky style training montage of, of working on your fast twitch muscles and your reflexes to hit the buzzer just right. It's
1: a it's a guy it's a it's a gift that you either have or you don't. I don't think you can be trained into it. Okay. I, I, I I accept my fate. All
0: right, um, but uh, I think you're right that you know this uh, a guy on jeopardy is only going to do so much to change the perception but every little bit helps i I think this certainly jeopardy is is very mainstream so um you know having a, a little mainstreaming of sports betting diminishing whatever stigma remains and you know really showing just like people learned about poker 15 years or so ago it can be a skill game you can be a consistent winner at it if you put in the time and really know what you're doing um just as we learned that not all poker players look like Doyle Brunson. They can also be young geniuses like Daniel Negreanu was at the time. Uh, James Holzhauer will make people reconsider their mental image of a sports bettor. Uh, so I, I think it's great. It's fun to watch him bet big on daily doubles. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm putting Jeopardy back on my DVR season pass, which I, I haven't done since the Ken Jennings run uh, back when I actually had TiVo, not DVR. Uh, but I, I, I want to watch and see how far this guy goes.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll make a note of that too. I, I don't want to miss an episode. Now it's, it's getting better and better.
0: Yeah. Um, so you you said uh, you don't have the buzzer skills for Jeopardy. I'll throw an out of nowhere question at you, John. Is is there a game show from your lifetime that that you've wanted to go on that that you thought you could do well on?
1: Uh, no. Um, other than Jeopardy. Uh, you sort of have to debase yourself to be on a lot of these shows. <laughs> that's actually. true. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It's uh, The money's great, but uh, no, th- this would be the only one if they would just uh, get off the buzzer system like that. Okay. Right.
0: If, if they just took <laughs> turns and each, <laughs> pointed at each person, you answer this one,
1: the, 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 <laughs> then you'd give
0: Jeopardy a try.
1: All right. That's probably not going to happen. Though. Right.
0: For for me, it's it's Wheel of Fortune, um, which sure. absolutely you have to debase yourself to uh, with all the cheering and the clapping and the pretending to be in a great mood the whole time. Uh, but I do sit there at home and solve the puzzles before before anybody else a lot of the time. Uh, and I even several years ago I made a, I made a, a video and submitted it for a chance to try to go on, but uh, never heard back from them. So uh, I, I would stink at Jeopardy. Frankly, Maybe, clicking the buzzer might be uh, my best trick. <laughs> okay,
1: we can team up. I'll you'll do the clicking, <laughs> and then I'll give the answer. There you
0: go. <laughs> when they have Jeopardy podcast partners week,
1: uh, we'll go on. It's coming. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
0: As attentive listeners know, John lives in New Jersey. I live in Pennsylvania. It's legal to gamble online in John state. It's not quite legal yet to gamble online in my state. And I have gambled on my phone as a passenger in a car while traveling from John state into my state and gotten kicked off right at the state line, and that's because the geolocation technology is just that good. Big Brother is watching, and in this case specifically, location services company GeoComply is watching. And the CEO and co-founder of GeoComply, David Briggs, joins us now on the podcast. David, welcome to Gamble On.
2: Well, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here.
0: So GeoComply was founded in 2011, the year the Wire Act was reinterpreted and state-by-state legalization of online gambling became a reality. In the early years, a lot of people who tried to play online poker or casino games in the states where it was legal had some struggles with geolocation. I personally had a couple of occasions where I was in New Jersey, but I was getting kicked off because the site I was playing on thought I was not in New Jersey. How much better is the technology now than it was then? And was there a specific point or a specific year when you'd say geolocation went from pretty reliable to
2: absolutely reliable? Uh, well, I guess the, the, the tricky part of that question is um, from, the, from the regulatory perspective, Eric Cariba, uh from New Jersey's Business Gaming Enforcement, like before launch, uh, he was interviewed and said his number one concern from the launch of iGaming in the US was going to be uh, if the geolocation didn't work, because then you know it's a breach of the wire out to New Gear and everything else. Um, so, you know, he said publicly he didn't mind if there were vast areas within the borders of New Jersey that you couldn't get a, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't play just as long as he was safe. So mm-hmm. in terms of that, you know, reliable question, the reliability in terms of if I'm in New Jersey, can I can I get on or can I not, not get on? That wasn't the primary challenge. The primary challenge was to make sure you couldn't get on from outside New Jersey. So the the, the rules that were set up were as relevant to that as the technology. The technology obviously has changed um, a bit over time, but it's, it's the rules that have changed, like what we can do, what we can't do. How big is the sort of safety buffer zone inside uh, a state line, you know, to make sure that you don't accidentally come on the wrong side? And because of that, when we set things up, we set things up to be as you know close to one hundred percent safe, uh, that no one could cross over the state line, and that obviously was going to cause and did cause some some negative customer experiences. But the customer experience was not the primary concern. The primary concern was made very clear to us was um, he had to make sure no one could get in from outside. And in terms of reliability, that was the reliability that we were being measured on. Very frustrating for players and. And certainly for operators, but you know that was just the rules of the game. Um, so what happened was once we had the transactions coming in and we had all the data to play with, you know, uh, Anna Sainsbury, who is my, my my partner and and co-founder in the company, was really looking after the, the North American operator side of the business. She she took the data to the Division of Gaming Enforcement and said, "Look, you know, we we really can change this rule a little bit here and that rule a little bit there." And give you your confidence Like we don't need to have such large buffer zones and and other restrictions that we could prove were not really necessary to give the confidence that somebody wasn't playing from out of state. So as we got those tweaks um, incorporated into the rules, we could really start increasing the number of users who could play without any problems. Now, my, my background, I'm sure you guys Probably don't know is that I used to be a bookie. I used to be an operator in, in Europe. I'm, I'm I'm British. I must confess, but <laughs> I, I I'm a I'm a reformed bookie. And in 20, 20 years ago was my first day working in the online gambling industry. And um, I, I always try, still think like an operator. And every time I could see a legitimate customer patron that we could see was in New Jersey, but they were they were failing for one reason or they were like they were too close to the they were let's say within a mile of the border and. it was the buffer zones were that big and we couldn't let them in it was you know clearly a terrible occurrence and and loss of money and this and the other so we really tried to tweak that that percentage that metric that key performance indicator that we looked at all the time from from the get-go right through to today is how many legitimate users are being able to to play without any friction and and even though we're a business-to-business company the, the culture throughout the entirety organization is you know how do we stay in the background so we're not annoying players players can get on with playing we're stopping them from coming from out of state we're stopping people from doing things they shouldn't be doing but we allow the logistic users to play so very long answer to your question but it was an incremental change that happened as we had the data so I think within two to three weeks we'd already got to very high levels of verification rates and within three to six months we were edging closer to 99% of all transactions going through with no trouble, and probably within a year we were at that 99% of, of everyone getting in with no trouble. So, um, but it wasn't—you know—it wasn't—it didn't happen naturally. It wasn't an upgrade to any technology. It was really increment, like a thousand different small changes that we could prove would legitimately still keep um, the, the borders of New Jersey safe, um, but uh, would allow more users to play.
0: Right. Makes sense. And uh, and so now I, I definitely do not hold you personally accountable for me being uh, kicked off on occasion uh, when I was in the state.
2: Yeah. I, I, listen, I was probably just saving you money from a bad beat.
1: That <laughs> yeah, could, be. could be. You know him too well. But, uh, uh, David, you know, it occurs to me that, you know, for geo comply, you didn't get there's 50 U.S. states. Some are more interesting than others logistically. And you didn't get to pick who they are. Um, and so here you have New Jersey come along. And I wonder if, if there could be any states to come. That would likely be any more challenging from this geolocation standpoint than New Jersey with you know these enormous numbers of people who live so close to either side of the New York and Pennsylvania borders to New Jersey. Um, you know, so many of those people should be lighted for being barely in New Jersey and so many should be rejected for being just barely outside of New Jersey. Um, you know, might a sparsely populated state be a diff- different challenge or, or is New Jersey sort of the gold standard? Everything else is easy beyond that.
2: Uh, Well, I I wish, (laughs) every state is different and they're proudly different, right? So, you know, I think even if other states say, you know, New Jersey has really done it fantastically well, they would all insist on doing it their own way, right? So, um, as you say, we we don't get to pick and choose. We really just have to uh, try and cut the cloth accordingly to to achieve what we, you know, our goal is to stay in the background and let everyone play, right? So, but the technical challenges around that, the legal and regulatory, Boundaries are, are quite distinct. So, if you think about it in terms of legislation, not regulation, but legislation, which is you know the very hard one to change. In New Jersey, you know you can play in a casino, you can play at, you know, anywhere in New Jersey for just about any product. In Pennsylvania, if you want to play online casino, you can play. Um, you know, when people go live, eventually, you can play anywhere in the state, but you cannot play online casino on property right? So if you're in a licensed gaming premises, you cannot play online blackjack, right? And that's in the legislation. So you know, we, we have to find a way, geolocation-wise, to, to make sure that everyone's compliant to that legislation, because the regulations are obviously going to follow the legislation. Then you have Mississippi, which has sports betting, and you, you can bet on sports on your phone if you're in that casino. So if you think about that they're, they're totally inverse use cases for geolocation uh, and they all require very different solutions and what we've had to do is build rules engines on 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 the server side to speak slightly technically for a second so that uh, the, the same software sitting on someone's device and potentially with you know one app for for one big operator and that operator might be live on a sports book in Mississippi they might be offering casino in Pennsylvania and they might be offering everything in New Jersey and as that one person is moving across those states, all those different rules and regulations, we try and accommodate on the server side. So naturally, the, the theory is you can switch from state to state and the different legislation and regulations are approved. But you know, the, the, the player doesn't really have to do anything different, and, and neither does the operator because we're all doing it on our rules engine. So that's, that's the reality today. But the one that is gonna be the most complex, most interesting if you really want to geek out on it, is Washington DC, which oh. hmm. makes absolutely no sense from a geolocation rules perspective. And as the legislation has been you know put forward and, and as it's got through committee in, in District of Columbia, you have a situation where the lottery is the only sports book which is allowed to operate across the whole of the district of Columbia, which is seven miles by 10 miles. So you have to do the geofencing that someone is in Maryland or Virginia, like just the other side of the road, can't play. So that's, that's one challenge. But, you know, New Jersey has similar issues, so does Pennsylvania. So theoretically, we've got to work that one out. But then you also have the issue that uh, there are some interpretations of the law in D.C. that says you cannot play on federal land. Now, I don't know how well you know D.C., but there's a lot of federal land in D.C. Right. Um, not just, you know, the, uh, the, the the actual buildings that belong to the, the various government um, ministries, but also the National Mall, the parklands, the museums. That's all. Is it national land? Is it not? So if you have to carve all of that out, and that's sometimes having exclusion zones to a building level. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, as if that wasn't already mind-bendingly challenging, you also have the concept that each Sports arena has the right to offer sports betting retail and/or mobile in that stadia, plus two blocks around it, and in those two blocks around it, there may well be federal land. Mm. So, I mean, mean, it, it, it is solving that conundrum will probably be the biggest challenge that 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 we will ever face. It is so difficult technically to try and do that and offer a good user experience is really going to be it, it's a moonshot i mean i cannot tell you now how that is technically going to be possible
0: hmm. yeah everything about uh dc and and uh what what they have coming is has been interesting in the build-up to this and uh, sounds like a, an, a big challenge awaits you um speaking of interesting cases there was uh, a particular controversial case that got a lot of attention over the past year or so with uh, poker stars and poker pro Gordon Vio. And I'm sure you know all about this, where, where Vio was allegedly playing poker illegally in California but spoofing his IP address so that it seemed he was playing legally in Canada. Um, so I'm wondering how much policing of spoofing of IP addresses do you do these days like is that still a major issue or is that something that has mostly been solved
2: well every single tier one regulatory jurisdiction in the u.s that has any kind of online doesn't accept ip ip location data is not acceptable at all as a as a, as a primary form of geolocation data so in the u.s you know spoofing your ip address won't really help you at all um It'll just mean you might get caught faster, but you know it, it, it won't help you ever get you know t- to play if you're outside of a jurisdiction. Um, but other parts of the world, if you take uh, you know the UK where I come from, or any of the European uh, gaming jurisdictions, they all still accept IP as the primary form of geolocation data because it's you know it's, it's cheap, it's fast, it's uh, the only trouble is it doesn't really work. And, and I think from what I read of the Gordon Vio case. Is he was using he was roaming on a Canadian like uh, you know dongle you know like a, a mobile internet hotspot mm. with a SIM card attached to a Canadian telco, and because he was in California, he would connect to that roaming dongle. And IP addresses, if it's a mobile connection like three G or five G or whatever, doesn't matter where you go in the world, that IP address that that the website sees if you're on a mobile connection always. Relates to where you've come from, not where you are. So he was showing an, a Canadian IP address, even though he was in California. He wasn't even using a VPN because IP addresses are so unreliable. You don't even need to use a VPN. You can just, you know, use an you know, just use a roaming SIM card, and and hey presto, uh, the site thinks you're somewhere else. So, um, but the, nonetheless, in that case, you know, PokerStars, you know, they spotted him, and uh, you know, he, he didn't get away with it. Right. In other cases, like in the UK, um, you know, my old employer Lab Brooks, was recently in the news in a quite negative way because they had a high rolling customer who went to Abu Dhabi and the United Arab Emirates, where it's obviously illegal to gamble. Um, and his VIP player allegedly, sorry, his VIP manager allegedly told him how to download a VPN so he could carry playing, carry on playing from um, Abu Dhabi. Now, apart from that being very illegal, um, the player wasn't playing with his own money. He was actually stealing money from, I think, his employers. Uh, in, in the case that was uh, eventually brought to court, so it all looks very embarrassing. But from the European perspective, the regulators just don't really seem to care that much. That IP addresses aren't that that valuable. So the, the answer just depends on where you're on the world. In the US, faking your IP address won't really do you much good for the regulated operators, um, but Elsewhere, no one else seems to care.
1: Yeah. You know, David, we both go back to before New Jersey and Delaware even launched online poker and the other online casino games in 2013. You know, it's six years later. I mean, we have one Democratic presidential candidate out of the 250 or so this week um, talking about challenges that have not yet been addressed regarding online gaming and countless legislators all over the country. They still don't understand how geolocation works. I mean, at all. Zero percent, basically. Um, I, I just have to ask, is this something that ever tempts you to just bang your head up against the wall or have you made your with it or are there like five stages to get through to, to get to be your sort of zen about the the primitive
2: questions that you're going to get um you know to be honest the thing is john like you go to all the hearings so you've seen the presentation like how many times <laughs> right. right it's a good presentation so, so you could probably give our presentation for <laughs> us <laughs> right um and so for people like you or for us who are actually going and paying attention and you know, got your ears open and your mind open. You actually let this data settle into your brain and, you know, learning, right? It's a great thing. Um, and so you learn about stuff. The thing is, either people go to these hearings, but they're there to teach and therefore not to learn. And they just, you know, don't pay any attention, which, yes, is very frustrating. Or more likely, and one that I'm a bit more sympathetic for, is that we know all this stuff. It's kind of common knowledge to us, but it's not common knowledge outside of our universe. Um, you know, John, you are a very frequent uh, visitor of all these hearings, um, and you know you, there's not many other people that go to as many as you do that, that, that has this information. There's not many. There's not that many people <laughs> compared to the geocomply that go to all these hearings. So for some people, they're, they're coming to this issue for the first time, and if there's another lobbying group that basically wants to exploit that lack of knowledge by, you know, injecting a worm of doubt to say, well, on the internet, no one really knows where you are, which is a kind of concept that dates back 10, 15, 20 years and and hasn't, you know, it's, it's kind of insane. Like Starbucks knows where you are. Uber knows where you are. Um, uh, why, why on earth would someone think, oh, yeah, but they don't really know where you are? Yes, they do. But um, I, so, yes, my jaw does still drop. But the thing that really amazes, I, I try and be sympathetic because... Sometimes this is the first time people have, have really been hearing this. But you know we have one customer who's a very senior guy and a very significant player in, in the market. And he's been using our product for, I don't know, four years, five years, something like that. And uh, I was in a 45-minute meeting with him. And at the end of the meeting, we'd been covering products that were coming that they, he should know about in states and openings and this and that. And, and then something happened and he looked at me and he said, Oh, so you don't just do IPG location? <laughs> what? what? So it, it's it's inconceivable to me that someone who's been taking my product for four or five years still thinks that we're just an IPG location company. But yeah, it, it is what it is. It, it does seem to be a pattern that that repeats. Um, I, I don't think that you can legally enforce people to go to our presentations at hearings and listen. So uh, we just have. To that, that some people are, you know, are going to pay attention and get it. Some people don't. You know, one one of the strange things about our position in the market is, you know, we do tend to do most of the operators. Um, we have most of the market to ourselves, and and part of that again is the fact that for whatever people reason, people don't want to engage with with this difficulty, this challenge that that we work on. And I, I've had it described, and sometimes I describe it myself that. You know, we're a little bit like the septic tank cleansers of the online gambling industry. (laughs) We do this very annoying, complicated thing, which is trying to make geolocation work across, you know, thousands of different devices and browsers and operating systems. Recognize all the different methods of spoofing location and try and compensate for it and integrate it so it happens really fast and quick. And, you know, maybe proper techies look at that and say, well, that's technically not very, I'm sure I could do it. Then they can't be bothered because it seems like very annoying hard work so they just leave it to us and yeah i guess we just live in that corner of the universe which bizarrely i think the players know more about what we do than the brands which is kind of crazy but the user experience is kind of the pointy end of what we do and and so the players tend to know, like if you get a group of players together, they'll say, oh yeah, yeah, I had to take my, you know, log me in off my device. And I had to use this device because that worked really well, but that one didn't. And the reason is because they're doing this geolocation on that one and not on that one. And the players know this. It's, it's really impressive. Um, whereas if you talk to the brands, the operators, the legislators, they've got no idea. And, and, and I think that's a shame, but it's a function of, the the reality in in the US market that if you are an operator or a vendor to an operator, you're not allowed to gamble yourself in that state, and that insulates a lot of operators from the kind of usability experience that if I could play on my own app in a state, I bet you as an operator I would be more focused on UX. I'd be laser focused on UX, which would then, uh, well, sorry, when I say UX, I'm the user experience, uh-huh. and that. If with that focus, the user experience would improve for everybody and some of the remaining frictions in the regulated iGaming market, whether it's payments or registration or just moving from you know, one product to the other product, I, I think those would be fixed faster if if the operators could play on their own apps, but they're just not allowed to. And, and as a result, a lot of the operators have never geolocated in New Jersey. They've never done it for themselves, yeah. which is it's a shame, but that's a characteristic of this industry which i think has a negative side effect well hopefully uh, a few
0: of the people who uh, who ask you dumb questions and and just don't get it are, are <laughs> listening to our podcast because uh, you're, you're you're very good at, at taking this complex subject and making it understandable to to the layperson so uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to educate us uh, and our listeners about what GeoComply does and how this all works Th- thanks so much for coming on the podcast david
2: no thanks for having me so, thanks david
1: two men men. $10,000 will they run it up or blow it all it's time to check in on the gamble on bankroll
0: As noted at the top of the show, our March Madness contest is complete. Uh, John has triumphed. Uh, So let's get straight to the bankroll update. No futures updates, just three bets from last week that are complete. And two of the three were winners. Uh, I went one for two. The Cincinnati Reds were somehow not able to get anything done against Jordan Lyles. They couldn't beat the Pirates last Thursday. Uh, So we lost $100 there. Uh, But my read on the Warriors-Lakers first half was dead on. I needed Golden State to be up by at least eight at halftime. They led by 18. So we won $100 on that one. And you went one for one, John. You laid minus 278 on Virginia on the money line against Auburn. <laughs> and it wasn't easy. <laughs> they didn't look like a minus 278
2: favorite. But, yeah. uh, you know,
0: we got we got our $100 profit there. So we won $100 for the week. We're now up $771. We have $1,010 on hold in futures bets. So we have the same $9,761 to bet with as last week. And I'm up first. And the NBA playoffs are upon us. The series prices for the first round just came out. And frankly, there are 15 teams whose prices I don't like very much. Uh, And actually, uh, only 14 because you can't even get a price on the Warriors in the first round, at least where I was looking. Uh, But another 14 of them don't look like a bargain to me. But there is one that I like. In the Eastern Conference, the fifth-seeded Pacers are plus 310 to prevail over the fourth-seeded Celtics. This is my revenge series. I can win back some of the money we lost on the Celtics win total bet and the Pacers division win bet. Uh, so maybe I'm chasing my losses here, but uh, that's, that's just a really good price, especially when you consider the Celtics won't have Marcus Smart, uh, who, no, you know, he's not one of their three or four most vital players, but he is an important piece of that team. I think they will miss him. And look, I don't favor the Pacers to win this series. I'd never consider betting them at even money, but at plus 310, against a team that's had as rocky a season as the Celtics, a team in the Celtics that you can make a case is better when their best player, Kyrie Irving, isn't playing. Uh, It's just a great price on the Pacers. I would have expected them to be about plus 225. So I'm betting $100 to return $410 on Indiana.
1: Nice. Um, well, I already made my master's pick, uh, master's winner pick last week. Uh, Justin Rose at fourteen to one, and um, I'll just say that if he's contending on Sunday, you're going to hear more about his caddy than you ever expected. That's a little hmm. uh, little yeah. tip there. Uh, but let's try the NBA also. Um, I actually like the Utah Jazz. Great team defense, kind of just makes me smile. I-, I like the way they play. Uh, but the Rockets have been in overdrive for months, obviously. And are those Derek Favors back spasms going away in time to help the Jazz 100% around the rim? I I doubt it. So give me the rockets. But yeah, these prices are rough. I'll just go uh, 150 to win 50.
0: Okay, so they're they are are 300 favorite yeah. in in the series. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. uh, I I I did say I didn't like any of the other any uh series prices out there, but that is one of the ones I paused and thought about at least because I am pretty confident that the Rockets will advance. So if if you had to bet another series, I I support that bet.
1: Okay.
0: Um. All right. Like my Pacers bet, I'm doing another underdog bet here. Um. So I really just need one of my underdogs to win to make this a profitable week. This one's in the same price range as the Pacers. It's in women's boxing. Arguably the most significant fight in women's boxing history goes down in Atlantic City this Saturday. Claressa Shields versus Christina Hammer on Showtime. I'll actually be there on Friday as part of the web live stream of The Weigh In. I will try not to end my career by saying the wrong thing live on the air about a woman's weight. Uh, Dangerous (laughs) territory there. Um, But anyway, uh, both fighters are undefeated. It's an excellent fight. Feels like a 50-50 fight. So I was shocked to see that BetStars has Hammer as a plus 300 underdog. Uh, Yes, she's a Germany-based fighter taking on a two-time U.S. Olympic gold medalist in America. So you can absolutely see Shields getting some help from the judges if it's a close decision. But to me, Shields should be no more than a two-to-one favorite. Again, sort of like the Pacers. I I don't really expect Hammer to win, but I love her at this price. So let's do $100 to win $300. uh, And... When you're talking about 10 two-minute rounds, it can be tough on the judges. Very easy to end up at five rounds apiece. So let's put another $25 on the draw at plus 1700
1: uh, I still think that people paying to watch one woman punch another woman in the face is a sign of the apocalypse. But that's uh, can also get off my lawn. But, um, <laughs> it's not,
0: it is not for everybody. I, I will certainly acknowledge that much.
1: Yeah, I have another bet here. But you know, the NHL's gotten short trip from us really for months. Uh, True. Okay, oh, for six months. Um, <laughs> even though I, I covered the Rangers back in the Mesozoic, what? Was messy the the Messier era? That's <laughs> a while ago. That seems like the are. Um Looking at the series to kick off tonight, um, I look at the classic original six matchup of the Bruins and Maple Leafs. Um, you know, by the way, the NHL only had six teams until 1967, which is amazing. Hmm. Um, but uh, I see the Bruins with an edge defensively here on the power play, probably in the net and coaching. Um, I also see the Bruins getting healthier finally and. Um, and I also see myself risking 150 to win 100 on the Bruins to take the series.
0: Okay, uh, I have watched almost no hockey this year, so I can't tell you if I like that better or not. But I, I trust you, John. Thanks. Hey. Uh, and that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to US dot com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple podcast app. And with that, John, please take us out.
1: Well, Eric, it's tax week and in honor of residents and visitors to seven new states this year, uh, being able to legally gamble. Uh, some are probably wondering if they can get any consolation for those bad beats they suffered uh, last year. Uh, well, the IRS website says this. You may deduct gambling losses only if you itemize your deductions on Form 1040, Schedule A, and keep a record of your winnings and losses. The amount of losses you deduct can't be more than the amount of gambling income you report on your return. Um, that's, that's a little bit of a catch. So, so to deduct your losses, it says, you must keep an accurate diary or similar record of your gambling winnings and losses and be able to provide receipts, tickets, statements, or other records that show the amount of both your winnings and losses. In other words, you're going to memorialize those bad beats and I guess sort of relive them, too. Um, If you're willing to do that, you might uh, salvage some some of the money back. But any other questions, uh, please consult your local professional accountant. I'm just a guy on a podcast. And with that, everybody, gamble on.